practice. From house calls to office visits to telehealth and more, the mediums and methods in which providers care for their patients has continuously evolved both by will and by force. The COVID-19 pandemic is a perfect example of an external force pushing providers to practice in new ways. So how do we rural healthcare providers remain competitive, innovative, and responsive to delivering care in the ways our patients want to receive it? With quick adoption of technology, encouragement to hesitant patients, and a constant focus on the future. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 16 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. Rachel, this is part four of our series on the five P's that we have learned from Mark Holmes of the North Carolina Rural Health Research Center. Uh, In our first three parts, we covered population, policy, and profitability. Now we're on to practice. Yes, and we are joined by one of our very own whose work is all about practice day in and day out. That's right, Rachel. Our guest today is Seth Gibson, Director of Outpatient Services for Hillsdale Hospital. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, Seth. Hello, JJ and Rachel. Thanks for having me on today. Seth, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work here at Hillsdale Hospital? Obviously, JJ and I know these things because we're colleagues, but we want our uh, listeners to get to know a little bit about you. Yeah, great. Okay, so I've worked in healthcare for roughly 16 years, with the last 10 of those years being in progressive leadership roles in both hospital-based and outpatient settings. So I've been with Hillsdale Hospital for about a year and a half now, and I currently oversee our primary care specialty clinics. I also oversee our home care division, home oxygen, durable medical equipment, and outpatient physical therapy, occupational therapy. So now that we've established who you are and what you do, let's start with the why. Now, we do this on every episode so we can get to know our guests just a little bit better. Seth, what is your why? What motivates you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning? That's a great question. What motivates me is the challenge every day to make decisions that have a positive impact on patient lives. I love the challenge and knowing that my teams have the ability to improve someone's well-being. That certainly keeps me going. Seth, when we think about the way healthcare is delivered, there are, of course, many different models and methods. Now, when it comes to rural health, what healthcare delivery models are most common? Uh, what's the history and the background here of rural health and healthcare uh, that is provided? I would say the most common models in rural health are the traditional in person encounters with a patient and provider. Nationally, we are seeing an increased demand for telehealth services which we have actively engaged in, and we seek to build that further. So that's something that we are approaching and growing. So let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, rural health typically is a little slower, or people expect, I guess, is slower to adopt new ways of doing things than, um, you know, our counterparts in urban and suburban areas. So what would you say compared to, and you've worked in a mid-sized city as well in your healthcare career, So what would you say comparatively is the balance between those traditional models of care? How far is the lag um, between rural health adopting different healthcare models versus when we see those things happen in urban and suburban areas? Yeah, there there are certainly challenges um, when we compare rural health to more of the the urban large system health. Um, The first thing that comes to mind are resources. Typically, your, your larger systems have more scale and more resources at their disposal, But the benefit of working at a rural or smaller organization is that we can often make quick, nimble decisions um, and have more autonomy um, as we seek to move forward. 
Right. So that's a perfect segue into my next question. Or I guess it's not a question. It's uh, it's really I want to hear the story from you. So one of the obviously increasingly popular methods of healthcare delivery is telehealth. Um, and you jumped right into that with both feet in a matter of literally days during the COVID-19 pandemic. We didn't really have a telehealth platform that we were working on for our patients in general. Um, I think at that time we only had maybe telestroke in the ER. Um, so tell us about that experience. If you can kind of think back, what what was happening? What changed that we were able to start telehealth? And what was that process like getting that up and online in such a short period of time? Yeah, so we had a, a quick research phase and we engaged our IT team uh, for their thoughts as well. So our first step was identifying a platform that will work for both both our organization and for our patients. So once we identified that platform that was, of course, HIPAA compliant, we then worked on training our staff and our providers to make sure that we were familiar with how we could roll this out to our patients. The next step from there, we engaged in some marketing and some information sharing so we could get the message out to our patients that we are offering this as a service. All right, Seth. So you and I worked very closely together on this project. And in fact, I remember calling you in my office and saying, Seth, get it done and get it done this week. And uh, and you did it. And he did it. <laughs> it was and, awesome. Uh, he took he took the reins to do that. Um, so obviously we launched telehealth and in rural hospitals, uh, that's important to have access to specialty care, right? So when we think about rural health, uh, we think about telehealth, we think about maybe a telestroke network or a telepsych network. And that's, you know, that's specialty care. But when we're talking about delivering the same level of primary care to the community in which they live, it becomes a little more complex. And the patient population maybe in Hillsdale wasn't versed to start this process. So if you can relate to us how the adoption of telehealth in Hillsdale County impacted the care that we give our patients. And why don't you just talk a little bit about what the adoption of that telehealth was like with our patients? You know, where where are we at with telehealth now? Uh, but where have we been? And, and what has been the receiving end of this to our community? Yeah, absolutely. So our first and foremost goal is to provide as seamless of an experience as possible for our patients when they engage in telehealth. We really should have them feeling like it's no different than coming into the office for a visit with that type of experience. So, of course, along the way, we've had some ups and downs in the sense that patients love the concept of having this at their disposal and having this as a treatment option for them. But as most rural areas of the country do experience, we've had some challenges with Internet connection, um, you know, for our patients that live in, in very rural areas, as well as for some of our buildings. So we're continuously working with our IT team on our resources and technology to try to improve that. We're also looking at grants and devices that we could possibly share with our patients to enhance this further. So again, there's ups and downs and, and pros and cons, but what we've seen are that patients in general really like having this as an option, and it really is able to provide them uh, care in the comfort of their home. So we continue to look for ways to enhance this for our community, and we're even looking at a, a dedicated individual to provide this resource um, versus our current model, which are all of our current providers are able to provide this source. You know, Seth, let's talk a little bit about access. So, you know, we, we're faced with a situation here where we live in a rural community, and I have managers that often tell me, JJ, you know, don't send me an email at home because I can't check my email. And I'm thinking, what do you mean you can't check your email? And uh, I, I, it's common. I'll have a manager tell me, yeah, we, we don't have internet access. 
What do you mean you don't have internet access? How can that happen? Seth, is it true that in parts of Hillsdale County and rural America, there is still an access problem for technology? Absolutely. Very true. Um, In fact, I've sat on multiple webinars where that is a big point of contention for expanding telehealth across the country. Um, You know, a good portion of of our country's population is rural. And when we look at Hillsdale County, I mean, we are by definition a rural county. Um, lack of internet access impacts many things. And if it impacts access to care, we have to look at innovative methods in order to deliver this care to our patients. So again, we're researching various grant opportunities and various other opportunities where we might be able to actually put technology in the hands of our patients to boost signals and things of that nature so we can work on this connection with our patients. You know, Seth, one of the things that uh, we have Uh, even looked at further is creating Wi-Fi hubs, right? So we'll create docking stations where uh, the community can come into specific parts of our communities, our towns, our villages, and at our centers, uh, we would actually have access for Wi-Fi. We've explained, you know, to our community that we want to give them access from the comfort of their home during COVID, but we really have a greater issue than just COVID, right? We have access in rural communities, what is the number one uh, challenge that we face right now, Seth? And I think you would answer this. I'll answer it for you. Is transportation, right? And are you seeing this lack of transportation uh, resulting in a lack of individuals' availability to get to the clinics? Yeah, especially, you know, we're, we're in the end of February here, and we all know that, um, you know, the Midwest uh, can have some pretty volatile uh, weather situations, right? Um, so transport issues are compounded further when, when folks don't have reliable transportation and we have bad weather. Um, so we do see cancellations, no-shows, things of that nature um, when the weather gets bad. And, and even outside of that, just in general, if folks don't have gas money or their car breaks down, things of that nature. So um, all the more reason that we really want to put telehealth in the hands of our patients um, should they not be able to make it for a face-to-face encounter with our providers. Okay, so I'm going to follow up with one final question regarding this topic. Uh, where's payment going to be in the future? Where do you estimate, Seth? I know, I know you have a lot of webinars that you attend, and you're talking about uh, this with your peers, but where do you think payment is going to lead us when it comes to telehealth? Do you think it's going to continue? Do you think we're going to see reimbursement from insurance companies follow the telehealth model? I do. I do. I think COVID has taught us a lot of things, and Um, pushed folks outside of their comfort zones. And, you know, one of those things that I I feel like we've learned um, or that that telehealth is here to stay. Um, So I see a mixed model, you know, for payment here in the future. Before before COVID, there was very limited reimbursement opportunity um, for most telehealth types of services. We saw the pendulum swing essentially in the opposite direction of that. Um, We have seen some pullback from various payers, but I think there'll be some equilibrium here in the near future And, um, you know, post-COVID, whenever that is, we'll have a sense of a mixed payer model um, where we see, you know, enhanced reimbursement for telehealth options, as well as our traditional healthcare encounters. Well, and that's really, you know, I think a big part of the discussion with telehealth and how COVID precipitated a lot of the telehealth that's now out there is the payment, right? Because part of the reason that we hadn't really aggressively worked to implement telehealth prior to COVID was because of the lack of payment. So JJ, from your perspective as a hospital CEO, what, you know, what was our, what, what state were we in before COVID that affected our ability to provide telehealth? How and when did that change? And then with what Seth is talking about, 
what do we know from CMS, for example, about the future of telehealth? You know, Rachel, sadly, uh, it all comes down to reimbursement, right? And I know that's hard for some people to hear because we're in a service industry. But consider this. We're at a rural community hospital, and we literally uh, push forward millions of dollars into this community through what we call community benefit. And, you know, we have losses in our psychiatric unit. We have losses uh, at times in other units of this hospital where we have to make up the difference. And that's very difficult to do. And so one of the biggest challenges that we have faced is how do you introduce technology such as telehealth, A, find the providers that want to engage in this, and then B, do it at a cost-effective measure where we can pay the provider, you know, an earning, a living uh, that is commensurate with their experience and qualifications, and how are we going to charge the patient? So prior to COVID, it was really not, uh, you know, on the radars for small rural hospitals. It was really on the radars for large systems. They weren't They weren't talking about it. They wanted people to come in the doors of their hospital. And um, I don't want to sound any type of capitalistic, crude type person here, but the goal was get them inside your doors, let them see what options you have, right? Right. And then you can expose them to the whole system. And you have a more personal connection. You do. When you're physically with your care provider. Absolutely. And if they're walking down the hallway and they see, you know, the radiology department and they see other departments, it may, you know, just cause them to pause and go, wait a minute, I needed that x-ray or I needed this. And so it's that idea of bringing them into the space, uh, this clean environment. It's bringing them in to see the many services that the hospital offers, to interact with individuals that are delivering their primary care. It's that personal touch. So we in hospital business have always said, eh, we want them in. Because that's where we're ministering to them. That's where we're reaching them. That's where we see the expression in their face. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then COVID arrives and we are forced to make a transition because here's the deal. People did not want to come into hospitals. They didn't want to come into primary care clinics. They don't want to come into their emergency departments. Across America, hospital CEOs are trying to figure out how do we get access in the emergency department on a teleprompter to an individual in their home 30 miles away in the same county and still try to resolve some of their emergent issues. It's very difficult because an emergency means an emergency. Typically, you've got breaks and bruising and blood and all those things, and you can't triage that from a computer. But one thing that we did learn is we could triage some of the lower acuity, we call it, Mm -hmm. and we can triage the clinics. An individual does not physically have to come in if they're exhibiting signs and symptoms of COVID-19. They could be reviewed through a telescreen, a telehealth prompter, whether it's an iPad, whether it's a computer, a desktop, it doesn't matter, a cell phone. We have mm-hmm. providers that use cell phones that are protected, uh, and they can make that clinical diagnosis. And, and what are they looking for? You know, they're going to look at the symptoms. You know, there could be technology on telephones, that, which we've learned about uh, most recently, that can check blood pressure and that we can do all of this diagnostic testing You don't have to come in the clinic to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, you lose the human interaction and the ability for the doctor to what we call lay his eyes or her eyes on you and to be able to assess other things. But for the emergent, urgent, you know, I've got this flu feeling, I've got this COVID symptom, I've got this situation going on that I just need a provider to maybe... Give me a script. Give me an opportunity to go in to see, you know, uh, follow up with a specialty care. Give me an x-ray. Those are the types of things that can be done and triaged through telehealth. We weren't getting reimbursed for that prior to right. COVID, right? We That wasn't even the model in our mind. Some insurances were reimbursing, but not very well and not very many. But yeah. we already know that that's an issue in rural health because your commercial insurances are not the bulk of your patients. Most of our patients, 70% are Medicare and Medicaid. So if CMS running Medicare and Medicaid aren't paying for telehealth, 
it doesn't it's not feasible for us right. to offer it. And that's the kind of the state we were in before COVID, right? Absolutely. We were in and we don't know what the future is going to hold. You know, if that payment system is not totally radicalized, then we are going to face some significant challenges for this reason, Rachel. Individuals now are used to receiving some of that care via telehealth. My mom, for example, had an appointment with a specialist at the University of Michigan, and that specialist didn't want her to come in, 83 years of age, potential exposure to COVID. And we took the iPad downstairs to an 83-year-old mother who's sitting on her, you know, couch seeing a specialist, you know, from another hospital far away was incredible. Now, that's provided the payers continue to follow the patient and to allow that to occur. We're hopeful that to a certain extent that there's a mixed model. We still want the human interaction and we still want the opportunity for you to experience the healthcare organization. And that experience is very important. Come into the environment, um, but also for those who cannot, for whatever reason, reach their primary care or their specialty care, to have access to, to telehealth in the rural communities. Seth hit on it earlier. Transportation is a primary concern of ours right now. Oh, we yeah. don't have public transportation, Rachel. Yep. And so we rely on a community hospital is formed a partnership with Key Opportunities, a countywide service that has some buses. And we're able to transport some individuals here. It's significant amount of coordination and challenging to us. But the city has a transit authority of sorts. It runs through the week, Monday through Friday. It only goes to the city. It doesn't go to the other places in our community, where physicians' offices are, where specialty care is, where pharmacies are. Very challenging for us. So so goes healthcare in telehealth, so goes rural health with it, right? We right. have to follow uh, that model in order to be successful. And now Seth is learning and doing a fantastic job of melting these two together. That the world that we live in of come into the office because I want to make contact with my doctor to the realization that we have people at home that don't want to get out of their home. And we have to marriage the two together because if we don't, someone else will. And the challenge for rural health is they will go to a competitor and their hospital system will suffer even more financial consequences as a result of that. So we've been forced to learn how to do it. And hospitals across the nation have been forced to do it because of necessity. Right. And I think an interesting point here, too, with both the access to Internet connectivity as well as transportation is – that's a much bigger issue in rural communities than in our, you know, urban and suburban communities. The, the challenges they face are different. Those are huge for us. I remember not, you know, a month or two ago, I was our administrator on call and I got a call from the emergency department at probably 930 at night that we had a patient and a family member who the patient had come in via ambulance and their family member had come with them. Well, the patient had been assessed. They were ready to be discharged. But they didn't have a way to get home because neither of them, they didn't have a car there with them. The only people at home were people who didn't have um, driver's licenses and weren't drivers and also had health issues of their own and couldn't get out. So they ended up figuring it out and, and being able to had, a, I think, a neighbor who was able to come pick them up. But that's when often, you know, JJ, you've talked before about ta- taking patients home yourself. That's when those things happen. Um, and then New when Year's it come- Eve, Rachel. New Year's Eve, this I get year. the call. This year. New Year's Eve, I get the call that a patient is stranded. A patient lives about 20 miles away from us. And I wasn't even on call, but the supervisor said, J.J., please. 
And I said to my wife, duty calls. Right. And uh, jumped in my car. It was a terrible snowstorm that day. Uh, the roads were horrible. And, you know, I got him home. Right. And that's what we do in rural health, right? Exactly. Because we don't have that access to public transportation. Right. We take those things on ourselves. And, you know, I think that's the difference. That's the role that hospitals serve in a rural community. That's not necessarily the role that hospitals serve in urban and suburban communities. The other side of that is the Internet access, right? So as a hospital, we are looking for ways to provide more Internet access to our community Even though traditionally you think, well, that's not really the job of the hospital is to make sure people in their county have Internet access. But it matters to us because it matters to our patients and their ability to access healthcare. So those are the things that we're looking at. That's why we are looking at grants for telemedicine and telehealth and better connectivity for our locations, but also for a community where I'm keeping an eye on what kind of broadband projects are happening in Michigan that are affecting Hillsdale. When are there opportunities available to expand broadband in Hillsdale? Some of the work that JJ and I do on the county and city um, economic development groups respectively relate to broadband for our community. So we have to champion those things in our community because it's so critical to the future of the care that our patients can receive. Absolutely, Rachel. So, Seth, let's we've talked a lot about telehealth because it is a huge one when we talk about healthcare delivery models and it's kind of the hot topic right now. But you oversee a multitude of outpatient services here as part of your role with the hospital. Um, And you've also worked in the inpatient setting before in your career as well. Um, You oversee our primary care and specialty clinics, uh, home care PT and OT services, like you mentioned, um, home oxygen. So so what your role really covers in-person office-based care, in-person care at home with home care or home care services, and virtual care with telehealth. So there's really a diverse set of healthcare delivery mechanisms that we have. So how do these various types of care work together to provide our patients what they need? We couldn't really operate with just one of these models, right? It's a mix, but how do those work together to benefit our patients? Yeah, exactly. We could not operate with just one of these delivery models. So we like to refer to the continuum of care. Here at Hillsdale Hospital, we want to provide every service possible within reason and within our scope and our ability. So we're always looking for that edge of what we can bring to the community for our patients. For me, it's all about the collaboration from service to service. So if a patient is at the hospital or is inpatient, their discharge plan hopefully can be into one of our outpatient services, whether that be primary, primary care or specialty, depending on the patient's need. Within our outpatient services, we should have seamless referral patterns. A great example would be Uh, that we recently hired a new physical therapist for our outpatient services. She meets regularly with our employed orthopedic surgeon um, at least once a month, and they discuss referral patterns. They both have a keen interest in sports medicine and those types of injuries, and they've developed some great referral patterns very early on in this work relationship. Another prime example, um, this involves us being humble and really just absorbing opportunities and not shying away uh, from opportunities to improve. I had a leader at our organization send me a message and he said, hey, why do we not offer this service through PT and OT? Basically, we had something referred outside of our organization for for one of our own. Um, You know, that really affects us. We we don't want any referral leakage. We want to be able to provide every service possible and keep patients in our community um, for their comfort. So what we determined with with having um, engaged the managers and directors that report up through me at our home oxygen and DME service, as well as PT and OT outpatient, 
uh, we determined that we were able to provide this. So it's something that we didn't have on our scope. Um, we took a hard look at it. And, uh, you know, the, the good thing is everyone has a can-do attitude. We're looking for reasons to do things versus to not do them. That's very important for the patients in our community. And I'm happy to report that we've brought on orthotics as a service uh, within our PTOT slash um, DME referral patterns. So now patients can get that fitting for their shoe. Um, it's obviously very specialized and maybe it's a small market, uh, but it's something that we can do for those patients. And we're very happy that, that we can see those opportunities, be humble and create improvement for our community. And that's a great example of what you mentioned at the beginning about how we can be very nimble and we can move quickly and do those things. So, you know, the, the number of people that have to be involved in that decision-making process in a small hospital and small healthcare organization setting like we have, um, that's a, a much smaller number, which means we can move a lot quicker and do those things for our patients. And also, I know that PT you're talking about because she was my PT and she is awesome. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. She is so good. Absolutely. Well, Seth, uh, obviously you have experience now here in rural health. Uh, this is your first adventure in rural health. And you also worked in mid-sized city healthcare before as well. Um, so when it comes to healthcare delivery in a rural setting, uh, what are the biggest challenges that you're facing as you administer the clinics, outpatient services? What is that? Yeah, I would say the biggest challenge is just it's resources, you know, and for from that standpoint, it's really using what we have and then some. Um, we, you know, we make the statement that uh, most folks at our organization wear multiple hats. And, you know, that's a fact. That's the truth. And there's nothing wrong with that. We don't shy away from that. Um, and it really helps take us to the next level. So it can be a challenge, you know, working for a rural organization of not having a, a tremendous amount of resources at your disposal. But at the same time, the benefit is that we, we don't have all these layers that we have to go through to make decisions. We are close enough to our info um, that we can stay nimble and, and stay on top of financial issues and things of that nature. So um, whereas before, you know, areas that I've worked, you might have to go through four or five more people just to, to get a fairly simple decision made. We have the autonomy at an organization such as Hillsdale Hospital to make quick decisions um, with the right stakeholders and to move things in the right direction for our patients. Well, and to your point before about, um, you know, being able to work across the continuum of care, one of the benefits of our leaders wearing multiple hats is that you kind of have a natural tendency away from the silos that you might have in larger organizations because you don't have five different people who are overseeing five different service lines. You might have someone like Seth who has one person is overseeing five different service lines. So naturally, there's going to be a less tendency for those things to be separated from each other and be siloed from each other. So those opportunities for collaboration across the continuum are, I think, stronger than what you might see in, in larger systems with some of those other barriers. So, okay, last question. What do you see as the next steps for healthcare delivery here in Hillsdale, but also in the rural environment in general? Where do we go from here? Yeah, so back to the continuum of care that I mentioned previously, we really need to look at enhancing patient access. That's first and foremost. That's our biggest goal, to make sure that we are growing our teams to support our patients and the needs of our community. So as I mentioned before, we want to bring on every viable service possible for our community. That's not just because we want to do it for the sake of doing it. It's because we truly believe that we can bring high quality, compassionate care to our patients and our community. And we don't want to see people go outside of the county 
to get their care elsewhere. We want to be confident that we can deliver that and meet the needs of all of our patients in the community. Well, Seth, uh, once again, we want to thank you for joining us today. And uh, it's my pleasure to have you working on Team Hillsdale Hospital. Uh, You have been uh, a blessing uh, to this hospital, to this community, and and to me. Uh, Your involvement in obtaining rural health designation for us uh, has been incredible. Uh, The pickup for the hospital after we're all said and done with all the rural health clinics is going to be well over $200,000 a year of additional reimbursement coming to our hospital because of your efforts. I look at some of the other work that you've done with expanding our DME program, uh, working very closely with the delivery of home care services, of registered nurses uh, that go out in the homes, and what a time uh, that that is needed during COVID. And so you've stepped up to the plate. You've been a tremendous uh, asset to this hospital uh, and to this community. You single-handedly worked on ensuring that we had a platform available for our community during their most difficult times. Uh, during a global pandemic, you said, I will deliver healthcare services to your home, and you accomplished that. So hats off to you, my friend, for a job well done. I look forward to many more years ahead as we work together for rural communities. Well, thank you, JJ. I, I really appreciate everything about this organization and your leadership, and this has been a great place to work. And yes, many more years to come. And now for our favorite part of the show, the voice of the patient. Through his wife Renee's insistence, Tom made sure to always get his yearly checkup with his primary physician, Dr. Boachi of Hillsdale Hospital. I wanted to get it in before the weather got warm, the Jonesville resident said. Tom was very active, always helping others in the community with rides to appointments, clearing driveways in the winter, or helping re-roof a shed. Tom went in to see Dr. Boachi for what he figured would be a very quick and routine physical. Even though he had a couple big falls in the past couple of months, Tom had always been in top physical shape. Although everything looked good from the outside, Dr. Boachi still insisted Tom get a chest x-ray. So Tom went right away to get the x-ray done, thinking that that would be that. But instead, it changed his life. The x-ray revealed that Tom had a mass on his lung. A CT showed an 8.4 centimeter mass on his left lung. Tom had stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. Renee gave me 15 minutes to feel sorry for myself, Tom said. And after that, it was all about getting him cancer free. After his last round of chemo in August, Tom has been cancer free ever since. Tom knows if the cancer would not have been found when it had been, he would probably not be here today, and he would not have been here for a lot of big things in his life, including his four grandchildren. I would have missed them all, he said. Dr. Boachi saved my life. Tom sees Dr. Boachi every year for an annual checkup and is so grateful for his thoroughness and commitment to care. To have such a quality physician at our hospital is very special, said Renee. He is compassionate and truly cares about his patients. He makes sure you get what you need. Wow, what a great experience to hear from that patient. It's always incredible to hear the direct experiences of the patients who are affected by the rural health care that we're talking about on this show.
Before we close, Seth, we like to do a fun segment for our guest. So we want to know what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? Okay, so I would say that my most unique rural experience so far in my tenure here at Hillsdale Hospital would be during my commute into work. Uh, So I'm an outdoors person. I enjoy fishing, hunting, things of that nature. Um, And while I was in Hillsdale County, uh, the southern part of the county on my way into work, I looked over in a field and there were more than 10 turkey and 10 deer congregating together and eating in the field. Um, not something that I'm I'm used to seeing despite all the hours that I spend in the outdoors, but seeing uh, both turkeys and deer together eating um, is not something that, that I had seen, um, especially in high numbers. It was double digits of, of both, and uh, it was a pretty neat experience um, to see that I had to watch that I didn't, uh, you know, end up in a ditch on the side of the road because I cranked my neck around to, to take a look at that. But it was definitely a unique experience and something that I will not forget. So, Seth, what would have made that experience even more rural is if you would have pulled your truck over and went out in the field and got yourself that turkey right there. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. How tempting was that? <laughs> and them are good eats right there, my friend. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us today, Seth. Appreciate all your time. Yes, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it very much. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll talk about payment, part five, and the final chapter in our series of the five Ps. So be sure to tune in. And as a reminder, we are collecting patient testimonials to feature during our Voice of the Patient segment. If you have an experience to share about the positive impact you or your loved one has had as a patient at a rural hospital or healthcare provider, Call our direct-to-voicemail line at 269-447-1265 or email us at marketing at hillsdalehospital.com and share your story. You just might be featured on a future episode of Rural Health Rising. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Seth Gibson, Director of Outpatient Services for Hillsdale Hospital. For more interviews like this and more information, or to share your patient or family testimonial with us, visit RuralHealthRising.com.